I'll be reading Jonah 4, 1 through 11, which is the entire chapter. But to Jonah, this seemed very wrong, and he became angry. He prayed to the Lord, Isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home? This is what I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish. I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Now, Lord, take away my life, for it is better for me to die than to live. But the Lord replied, Is it right for you to be angry? Jonah had gone out and sat down at a place east of the city. There he made himself a shelter, sat in, the, sat in its shade, and waited to see what would happen to the city. Then the Lord God provided a leafy plant and made it grow up over Jonah to shade for his head and to ease his discomfort. And Jonah was very happy about the plant. But at dawn the next day, God provided a worm, which chewed the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God provided a scorching east wind, and the sun blazed on Jonah's head so that he grew faint. He wanted to die and said, It would be better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, Is it right for you to be angry about this plant? It is, he said, and I'm so angry I wish I were dead. But the Lord said, You have been concerned about this plant, though you did not tend it or make it grow. It sprang up overnight and died overnight. And should I not have concern for the great city of Nineveh, in which there are more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left, and also many animals? You may be seated. Uh, last week, I had to speak three sermons during the week. You know, I have a couple of early morning service and Friday night service, but I was stressless because I didn't have to speak today. You know, like first service in in a KM, you know, and second service and third service because of this person, this man, uh, Doctor uh, uh, King is here with us. He is the director of our, you know, mission director of Lesnate Global Mission. Uh, you know, we belong to Christian Reformed Church in North America, right? That's our denomination. He's a mission person. He's here because uh, we have we're gonna have. Uh, a Grover Summit mission conference tomorrow, tomorrow actually, and, and he came to speak for us. So he impact uh, first and second service. I was like kind of like, oh, like blown away because my goodness, God is speaking through the messenger. And each service different. I kind of felt, oh, God is speaking to us differently because, because of, I guess, the audience. And God's going to speak to us today. So let us welcome uh, Dr. Jeffrey King. It's really a privilege here to, for me to be with you here in Los Angeles at Tecumseh Mission Church. Uh, it's my first time, um, obviously, at this church. I've been into L.A. several times, but never had the opportunity to preach here. And so it's just uh, great to be here. I'd like to bring greetings from uh, the rest of the Christian Reformed Church in North America. I'm coming from Grand Rapids. My colleague Kyle Vinneman is here with me. Calvin College. Uh, Calvin College, okay. Good, good. I I wasn't born and raised in Grand Rapids. I came from outside the Christian Reformed Church. But now I call it home, Grand Rapids. And so it's really good to be here with you. Resonate Global Mission, I know... Some of you may not know exactly what that is, but it's the mission agency of the Christian Reformed Church. used to be two different agencies, Christian Reformed Home Missions and World Missions, and we came together in 2017. But we are here to serve the churches of the Christian Reformed Church and walk beside them as they do the work of mission. 
And we do that in three ways, and I'm just going to tell you really briefly. And uh, after the service, if you want to have more um, detail, then you can come up and speak with me or Kyle. But um, three things that we do, and we walk beside the Christian Reformed Churches in doing, first of all, is developing mission-focused or mission-shaped congregations. And um, that really is the way that we would like to see all churches be, not just doing mission as a program, but having mission be the core of who they are. And so as part of that work, we help to plant churches in North America, U.S. and Canada, and around the world through the work of our missionaries and church planners. We also um, help in evangelism and discipleship. And then we work with congregations, established churches, to help them to understand what it means to be mission-focused in their neighborhoods. So that's an important part of what we do. The second thing that we do is help to develop missional leaders. And we, as you know, we believe that when God lays mission on the heart of a leader, that leader can multiply and, and, and increase the impact of mission in the community and around the world. So we invest in leaders. Uh, we train leaders around the world in the U.S. and Canada and many of the different nations where we post missionaries. One of the ways we do that is through campus ministry, through placing and helping to support um, missionaries or ministers, uh, pastors on campuses in many of the secular uh, colleges in the U.S. and Canada, but also overseas we have that. We do informal and formal training. Uh, also, we help educate churches on how they can be engaged in mission. And then the third thing that we do is help to develop mission missional networks that are holistic, and that means that they're about preaching the word, but also about expressing what the word looks like concretely in actions and in lifestyles. And so we network with people of good faith around the world. And, uh, you know, we also have networks that include some of your missionaries and some of, of your ministers here at Tecumseh Mission Church and work with them and, and, and equip them to engage their communities. So those are the three things that we do. And uh, we're just really privileged to have your prayers and support as a congregation. And, um, yeah, again, to be with you. So thank you. Let's turn our attention to uh, the text that God has laid on our hearts this morning. It is an interesting text. It's from Jonah chapter 4. Now, before I get started, you know that I'm, uh, well, I'm a director of a mission agency, Resonate Global Mission. I'm also a former missionary. And in most churches in the Christian Reformed Church, that really means that you're going to get a particular kind of message on Sunday. And for many churches, you know, they kind of feel like they've heard these mission sermons before. So what I'm going to do is I'm, I'm not going to preach a mission sermon today. I'm going to give you guys a pass. Now, I know this is Tecumseh Mission Church, and I know your pastors and, and excited and engaged about missions, so I'm sure you get lots of mission sermons. But I'm not going to preach a mission sermon today. So I don't know if that makes you feel better or if maybe you're disappointed, but whatever the case, that's not what we're going to do. Instead, I want to focus on an emotion or a characteristic that really defines who we are as people, as Christian people, but also just as human beings in general. And this is a characteristic that, that really connects with God's own character. It's an emotion that really has a deep point of contact in God's own being, if you will. And it's, it's an emotion that if we were able to internalize it more and more and feel it more deeply in our hearts, it would really help us to live lives of joyful abundance and assurance in God and what he's doing through us. Or conversely, if we don't have it, 
then we would be living lives, I think, of increasing despair and frustration. And in fact, if we have this characteristic or this emotion in our heart, we won't need mission sermons. We'll actually be people of mission who just naturally, out of our nature, engage in the work of mission. So in order to talk about this emotion, I'm going to use Jonah chapter 4, but I have to admit, Jonah chapter 4 is really kind of really kind of shaped me. It's really kind of uh, used me in a way to create in me what, what I think is what God, God's passion is in terms of this characteristic or emotion that he shares with us. And I find this text a little difficult. I find it a little difficult to really wrap my mind around. And so I hope as, as I'm sharing this, this message with you and sharing this text with you, just, just open your hearts to what God wants you to hear. And you know, if there's any resistance or any questions in your heart, just, just let those be and, and just take deeply in this text from the book of Jonah. So <clears throat> I think most of us know the story of Jonah, right? I mean, if you've grown up in the church or even if you've been in the church four or five years, you've heard this. You've heard it at Sunday school. You've heard preachers, I'm sure pastors, preach on it. You've you know, seen it and read about it. It's the story of Jonah, and, and it can be summarized in six words. And most children, English-speaking children, know these words in the church. It's this, that God said go, and Jonah said what? No. Yeah, you guys get an A for the day. That wasn't hard at all. So Jonah, God told Jonah to go to this great city of Nineveh, this city which is really the capital of the world, but it was a city of wickedness, and it was a city of oppression, a city of injustice, a city of persecution, a city who sent its armies out into the world to just really cause mayhem and destruction and pillage and destroy. And so God called Jonah to go to this city and and, and preach to it. But of course, Jonah wanted no part of that. So when he got the call, he turned around, got in a boat, and went the opposite direction. And as he went in the opposite direction, you know, God sent a storm, and in that storm, um, you know, Jonah ended up being pitched over the side of of the boat there, and uh, he was swallowed by a fish or a whale. We don't know exactly for sure what what the Hebrew word means, but he was swallowed. And you know, if, if you have uh, older children or if you yourself are kind of like a sarcastic person, kind of likes to, you know, rub people's faces and kind of the weird stuff in scripture, you probably note that what happened to Jonas, he was vomited up on the land. That doesn't sound very nice, but that's what happened. And so after Jonah was vomited up on the land, he went and finally did the job of preaching this message, which, uh, which we read about in Jonah or have read about in Jonah 1 through 3. So let's start in Jonah 4 then. Jonah 4 verse 1. So here's Jonah. He is in a really, really, really horrifyingly terrible mood. I mean, he is, he is beside himself with anger. This is what verse 1 says. It says, Jonah was greatly displeased and he became angry. Now that's not like when, you know, you, you come home at the end of a day and you've, you know, you've had a frustrating day. Things at work may not have gone well. Things at school may have been frustrating. And you're just, you know, you're done. You just want to sit down and, you know, chill or whatever. This, it's not that. This is absolute anger, rage, furious, burning wrath. I mean, when you come home like this, let me tell you, everyone parts and goes the opposite way and locks the doors. This is that rage in which you can't even 
safely say anything or interact with another human being because you are just so beside yourself with anger. And that is exactly where Jonah is in this text. He is enraged. Why? Well, he's enraged at the people of Nineveh first, but he's actually enraged at God himself. Why? Why would Jonah be angry? Don't forget, Jonah had been called to go and preach to this city of oppression, Nineveh, the city of, 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 of pillaging and of destruction and of oppression and of armies who had gone out over the known world and who had laid waste to cities and, and killed babies and destroyed and just total mayhem and destruction unleashed on the world. But that wasn't the only reason why Jonah was mad. He would have much preferred if God would have just wiped this people from the face of the earth, just absolutely scraped them off the surface of the earth and been done with them. He did not want to have anything to do with this people. And that's why he fled. But that doesn't really account for his bad blood. Now, that is a phrase, I guess, in English. It's a phrase also in Spanish and in French. You know, that doesn't account for, for just his bad blood, for his anger, for his rage, for this horrible mood that he was in. Jonah is actually directing his anger at God himself. Or at a certain emotion or characteristic that is really defines God's character. Jonah says in verse 2, Lord, isn't this what I said when I was still at home? That's why I was so quick to get in my ship and flee to Tarshish. According to chapter 3, Jonah preached this sermon to the people of Nineveh. Now, this is a sermon that I think you will agree with me that is not exactly a winning, invitational, uh, sort of warm, engaging piece of communication. This is what Jonah said to the people, preached to the people of Tarshish. Forty more days and Nineveh will be overturned. Hmm. That's like a weapon. That's a weaponized sermon. That is sort of, if you will, the homiletic or the sermonic equivalent of, of a bomb. I mean, this is not if you don't or if you don't respond to God's word, then he'll do this. There's no possibility of, of turning, of repentance. This is like, you're going to be destroyed. You're going to be wiped out. And so this sermon, as bitter and as angry and as vitriolic as it was, somehow... It was successful. And these people turned from their ways. They actually repented. They actually engaged in these kinds of culturally specific activities, like putting on sackcloth and sprinkling ashes on their head, which symbolized that they were turning away from this kind of behavior. And so Jonah is not in any way thankful for this. In fact, he is just the opposite. He says this, I knew, he says this to God, he says, I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. And that's why Jonah was so angry, because he knew from the very moment that he received that call from God, in his heart of hearts, he knew that God would relent, that he would have mercy on this people whom he hated with all of his being. And now faced with the deliverance, with, with this, the, the opportunity for this city to escape this terrible disaster, Jonah is so angry he wants to die. He is enraged. 
at a certain characteristic or emotion in God's character. Now, when you're this angry, no one's going to be able to reason with you. No one's going to be able to talk with you. I mean, you're impervious to anything. You are absolutely wrapped up in that anger. And so God just poses a question to Jonah. doesn't answer it, just poses a question. He says, have you any right to be angry? And then God gives an object lesson to Jonah. So here we are in verse 5, and Jonah, I imagine Jonah is, is perched sort of on a, on a cliff or on a mountain above the city, kind of like a vulture, right? Just waiting and sort of licking his chops and, and, and just waiting for God to unleash this wrath and destruction and to wipe these horrible people out and just with all of his being expectantly waiting. But it's hot. And the sun is shining down on him. And his mouth is getting dry. And the wind is blowing. And so he builds a bit of a a shelter over himself. And then God germinates a seed and causes a vine, a plant, to grow up into the shelter and to spread its leaves over his his scorched head. And, And finally, Jonah, I imagine in his heart, though the text doesn't say it, I imagine in his heart he probably puts his hand together and says, finally, a little bit of respect for the righteous God. Where has this been? And so Jonah enjoys the shelter, and maybe his anger subsides a little bit. But the next morning, during the night, God has sent a worm, and the worm has chewed the roots of that uh, plant, and that plant has, has shriveled and died. And now Jonah, again, is exposed to the fiery, blazing sun, and he's scorched, and he's sunburned. And now his anger is even deeper, if that were possible, and he's even more angry at God. And God comes to him and says, do you have a right to be angry about that vine? And Jonah blurts out, I do, and I'm angry enough to die. Those are strong words. That's strong anger. And God sees his angle, that sort of the fissure in Jonah's psyche, and he's able to crack open and exploit this, this, this crack in, in Jonah's argumentation and his anger. And this is what he says to Jonah. He says, You have been concerned about this vine, though you did not tend it or make it grow. It sprang up overnight, and it died overnight. But Nineveh has more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left, and many cattle besides. Should Should I not be concerned about so great a city? And so the ridiculousness of Jonah's position is just laid plain right out before him, right out in front of everyone to see. Here is a man who is compassionately attached to a vine, a vine, and ready to rain down destruction and wrath and complete and utter wiping a city of 120,000 people out of existence. And here is God, who loves and cares about a city of 120,000 people, plus animals, and is ready to sacrifice a small vine in order to help Jonah understand why. So what is the emotion that is so abundant in God's character? What is the characteristic that is really so emblematic or symbolic of God's being? Any ideas? Mercy? Compassion. Mercy, compassion, very similar, right? 
Verse 2, we've heard it already. You are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Again and again in Scripture, we actually heard it uh, this morning. Pastor Cho read some of the same words. And these are repeated. But compassion, you know, it's, it's really wonderful. It's, it's really great. It's a wonderful characteristic of God, especially when it's for you, right? And for the people that you like, for the people that you love. Man, it is great. Wonderful. But what happens when compassion is for the people you don't like? For the people who bother you? For the people that aren't like you? For the people who enrage you and infuriate you? It gets pretty sharp. It gets very sharp. So the story of Jonah really isn't about God's anger and wrath and and human mercy. The story of Jonah is really about human anger and wrath and desire for revenge, and God's mercy, and God's compassion. And as it turns out, sort of counterintuitively to what we're often taught in our culture, and in our community, God actually has a bottomless reservoir of compassion for all people, especially people who are hurting and lost, while human beings most often insist on Retribution, right? An eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. Justice only. Really, God is gracious and compassionate. So we've taken a look at Jonah's story. That is, you know, the story of chapter 4. But I'd like to transition and think about our story as a people. What difference does this compassion make in our lives? What difference does it make to us? Now, I began by mentioning that this is a story that I find very challenging. Probably you're also finding it very challenging too as you start to think, well, what does this mean for me? You know, Jonah 4 is no mission text. Why is it no mission text? Well, first of all, Jonah was not a missionary. And secondly, though we read that the people of Nineveh repented, we know in the long run they didn't actually, or they returned or turned their backs on that experience of God's mercy. Because if you look in the other texts of the Old Testament, in Isaiah and Jeremiah and the other prophets, we read that in fact Nineveh and the larger country of Assyria was destroyed, was judged by God for its injustice, for its uh, pillaging and, and harm that it unleashed on the inhabited world. So there was no churches, there were, there were new, no people coming to Jesus. And yet, this story teaches us something that's very important about God and his character. It teaches us about God's compassionate nature, for his love for lost and hurting people, which is really the beginning of mission. It's really the foundation of mission. Now, I know that I'm not supposed to be preaching a missions text or preaching a missions sermon, but you're going to have to forgive me because I'm going to kind of, you know, a little go off the track a little bit and maybe say a few words about mission if you'll give me a chance. So, compassion, God's compassion for the lost is really the beginning of outreach and mission. But honestly, compassion is very, very difficult. It's hard for us. Why? Well, two reasons. First of all, For us to have compassion on a person, we need to identify with that person. We need to sympathize with that person. We need to see ourselves in the person to whom we'd like to have compassion on. That's why, you know, if you're a, let's say, if you're a 
a college student, you really have a lot to talk about with another college student. Or if you're in secondary school, maybe you're a senior or junior, you're sort of doing the same things and have a lot to talk about with another person in a similar station of life. Or if you have a young family, if you have a new baby or whatever it is, you know, you look at a person, you share their experience, you have compassion on them, you reach out to them very naturally. But what happens when that person in front of you is not at all like you? What happens if that person in front of you is, like, offensive to you? What happens if instead of speaking respectfully and kindly, they sprinkle their conversation with all kinds of horrifying four-letter words that just terrorize you if, if that's one of the things that bother you? What happens if that person that you're talking to, you know, their phone is ringing every 30 seconds and, and it's just so annoying because they won't give you attention or the time of day? What happens if the values of that person are just offensive to you and you're, and you're just, you don't know what to do with that person? You don't feel compassion for that person. Second reason, it's very difficult to feel compassion for people who have hurt us, or people that remind us of those people who have hurt us. You know, when you uh, have a hurt in your life, and you come to a person that's hurt you, perhaps, you know, a family member, perhaps a friend that's betrayed you, um, someone who's uh, shared a, a something you told them in confidence, you know, someone who's, who's offended you in a deep way, you don't want to be near them. You want to slam the door on them, lock it, get in the car, go away, or perhaps even... Sometimes you maybe even want to hit them. You know, that happens as well. People feel that way. You don't want to have compassion on them. The good news is that true compassion doesn't really have to do with our sympathy or our identifying with others. It doesn't, actually. True compassion really comes from God's character. The true compassion that we can have in our lives that will give us joy that will make us um, be able to walk through this life with a sense of, of fulfillment, that actually comes from God's character, and God seeds it in our hearts. We see people as God's children. We see people as God's own children. And if you know anything about children, children can be the biggest joy, the biggest thankfulness in your life, but they can also be the most difficult and the most angering thing that you have too. And, and when you see children, you reach out to them in sympathy and love and, and, and compassion because you know they're God's children. And he loves them. Just as he loves you, he loves them. And I think of Jesus Christ, you know, in his crucifixion. And we're coming up to, to Good Friday and Easter, and I imagine Jesus on the cross and the Gospel of Luke, and you know the, the women are gathered around him, and the disciples are far away. And I imagine after all of his suffering, after being whipped and lashed with the crown of thorns on his head, and, and taking his last gasp of breath, what does he say? Lord, revenge, get vengeance on these people for me. Lord, wipe these people away who have hurt me so much. No, he doesn't say that. In Luke chapter 23, we read Jesus' last words, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. This kind of compassion, this kind of compassion that comes from God's character, what we're called to develop, to feel, and to internalize it's a very active thing. It's a very powerful thing. 
And it can come to expression in many different ways. It can come to expression from sharing a, a cup of coffee or a cold glass of water with someone who is just really struggling and hurting in their life and who is losing hope and who has no eternal hope to ground them. Spending time with that person. It can be something perhaps as complicated as becoming, in terms of vocation, a, a missionary, perhaps a church planner, and, and, and planning a church in a community where there's great poverty and suffering and crime and hurt. It could be going overseas to be a missionary in a country where perhaps it's closed to the gospel and perhaps the church is persecuted. It can be taking time after a long day at work to hear and set and pray with someone who does not have faith in Christ, who needs some kind of anchor in the winds of this world. But the most important thing is that whatever God is calling you to do to show his compassion, that you do it in the name of and for the purposes of God. So often we do good things in this world and, and we just get the sort of the benefit, right? Because people say, wow, you know, such and such a person, just a really nice person, right? Like, they're just really great people and, and wow, you know, I... It's wonderful to know someone like that. And that's not our goal. We don't want that. It's nice to be appreciated. Our goal is that when we share compassion with someone, that they say, that person loves me with the love of God. That person loves me first because God loved them first. That person loves out of the abundance of love that God has given them. Because that is the kind of love that changes lives, that changes and transforms people. And that's the kind of compassion that's the beginning of mission. Can we love and value people that are not at all like us? People who offend us. People who speak differently than us. People who act differently than us. Because that is really the mission that we've been given before mission. To develop and to nurture compassion. Godly compassion. That work of the Holy Spirit in our heart. I'd like to conclude this morning with a personal story. Many, many years ago now... I was just starting university in Grand Rapids, and I had just met a few uh, new friends, and they invited me to go to the grocery store. You know, you don't know where the stores are when you move to a new town. And we went to a grocery store, and um, I didn't really know this, but it wasn't the kind of grocery store you should be in at 9 o'clock on a Sunday night when we went. Again, I was new to the city. And um, there was actually a gang of, of young men there. And for whatever reason, I don't know if it was a dare or what it was, but I was attacked and ended up getting a pretty bad concussion and my jaw was broken and, and got beat up seriously. And I did nothing. I had no idea what was happening. And I could tell you that as a young person going to college, that was very difficult for me. I actually ended up having my jaw wired shut for like three months. And so here I am, a new student, you know, thinking, well... I was thinking, well, I want to make some friends. You know, maybe I can get a date, possibly, but, you know, I'm not going to be talking to anyone. And I'm certainly not going to be enjoying any of the cafeteria food if, if it could be enjoyed. It was tough. And for me, it was really a time of great frustration and anger and really even bitterness because of what had happened. And I could not summon any compassion in my heart for the people that did this to me. I was much like Jonah. But God worked on me. It took some time, but God worked on me. And the people that had done this to me, I was able to eventually forgive. And God gave me a calling to the work of mission. And I went out as a missionary, first in Nigeria, and then in Haiti for 12 years, um, where my children grew up, and was able to work with many of the same kinds of people that the, as those who had um, 
been part of the gang that attacked me uh, back when I was in university. And I know that none of this was from me because me was only rage and bitterness. But God made the compassion grow in my heart. And so I know that there are people here this morning who have a much deeper hurt than this. There are people here this morning perhaps who have been abused in their life. Perhaps you're carrying scars and hurts that you haven't been able to share with your parents, with your friends, with your husband or wife if you're married, or with anyone. And it's very hard for you to think about what compassion looks like. I'm so thankful that God is the one that creates that compassion in our hearts. That the Holy Spirit is the one that nurtures that feeling in our hearts and in our spirits. I know you may feel afraid, perhaps, if I've described your situation. How can I ever have that compassion? But I'd just like to encourage you to let this message of Jonah 4 wash over you. Let those words wash over you that the Lord, the gracious and compassionate Lord, let that message invade your heart. Because God, through his Holy Spirit, can develop that compassion in whatever soil you have in your heart. So let's ask the Holy Spirit continually for that compassion. And let that be the beginning of mission as we go forth to serve God. Let's pray. Lord God, we give you thanks this morning for this message from Jonah chapter 4. Lord, we are challenged. We are astounded by the unbelievable compassion and love you have for your people. Lord, we acknowledge that we have hurt you. We have turned our back on you. We have lashed out against you. And yet you come to us time after time, moment after moment, with new love, welcoming us. And Lord, we realize that when we are hurt, when we are offended, Lord, we are often very slow to show compassion. We pray every Sunday, forgive us our debts, forgive us our sins, as we forgive those who sinned against us. And yet, Lord, we find that so difficult. But Lord, we know and we trust that you are a great God, a God of abundance, a God who can do incredibly more than we ask or imagine, according to your grace in Christ Jesus. Lord God, give us that grace. Help us to develop that compassion. May it be our mission. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.